words appear. The email addresses and groups mentioned on this program no longer exist. Blind Like Me does exist in its new incarnation on groups.io. To join, send a blank email to blindlikeme plus subscribe at groups.io. That's blindlikeme plus subscribe at groups.io. This week's uh, Blind Like Me, I think this is show 52. I'm not the statistician, so I don't know, but I, I'm thinking it's 52. Anyway, we know this. We have Melissa G. is on the phone from Boston, Mass. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm good. You're not going to be nervous or anything, are you? No, uh-uh. No, I don't, want you, I don't want you to be. I want you to just be. So we've been talking for 15 minutes, and you're very bubbly and seem to uh, seem to be living life and, and doing fairly well. I know it's not polite to ask this, but how old are you? I am 25. 25. Well, I knew you were. I knew you were young. I could tell by your voice that you were uh, a whole lot younger than I am. I'm. I am old. I, my social security number is seven. That's how old I. Am. <laughs> Only kidding. Anyway, 25 years old, and you. I think you told me that you had been blind since from what age? Three. Three years old. So up until then, do you have memories of being able to see? I do, actually. Oddly enough. Um, yeah, I do have a lot of visual memories, which I think really helps me in terms of mobility travels. But yeah. Well, it, it, I'll tell you one thing it helps you in, and that is d- determining colors. Like, I'm, I've never been able to see. So when somebody says, uh, that's red, I've, I have no idea what they're talking about. Well, you know, I don't exactly remember colors, but I do picture things in shades. Like, I know black is dark and white is light, and everything else falls in between somewhere. Yeah, uh, yeah. But you, <laughs> you have some memories, uh, kind of memories, I guess, of seeing it at, uh, at an early age. And you said, now, how did this happen? You told me, but tell a little listener, child. I had an allergic reaction to penicillin, and as a result, I had Stevens-Johnson syndrome, which is pretty rare. It's an adverse uh, drug reaction. Of course, until they gave you the penicillin, they would have no way of knowing that this was going to happen. No, it can, anything can trigger it, even over-the-counter medications like Motrin. So there's really no way to determine who's going to get it and who's not. And you were just one of those unlucky ones who happened to have it, and they gave you the penicillin, cleared up the ear infection, but then you couldn't see. What? <laughs> exactly. What? I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's not funny. I mean, how ironic. I know. <laughs> you know. It's just the irony, and I'm sure you've thought a lot about it and dealt with it. And but you were you were young, you were just a child, and I guess you 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 do you have brothers and sisters? Uh, uh, no, actually, I grew up an only child. 
Really? And uh, uh, did they, what did they, I guess it, this shook up your parents pretty much when they're child... Yeah, um, they were very overprotective for a long time, but fortunately I was always one of those kids who liked to push the envelope, so to speak. So if they told me I couldn't do something, then my idea was, well, how can I go about doing it? So, yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> um, that's good. Yeah, well, they didn't think so at the time, but, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they're they pretty glad now that I was like that. Well, but that probably saved your, because, you know, blind people that just sit around and do nothing uh, end up sitting around doing nothing. You know, when they're, you know, if they're kids and they, they don't get out and, you know, like I rode a, a tricycle when I was a kid all mm-hmm. over the place. And, and uh, did you, what did you do when you were? Well, um, yeah, I did ride a bike, and God only knows how I did it without killing myself, because <laughs> I used to, um, around my grandmother's neighborhood, I used to roller skate and rollerblade and ride a bike from time to time, and I, I don't know how I did it without getting hurt, because I used to, I never used a cane when I was growing up, although I was introduced to it at four with mobility, but I, you know, my whole thing was, I don't need that stick, I just need it for mobility, and that's it. Yeah. So... I mean, I used to cross streets and everything without being able to see anything and being hearing impaired as well. So, oh, are you are you hearing impaired some to some extent? Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Well, my, but you do all right on the telephone. You have a, a special phone or something? No, actually. Um, ironically enough, my hearing has actually gotten better throughout the years. So, I wear a hearing aid in my right ear and. With the correction in my right ear, I have borderline normal hearing in both ears. Boy, the only thing about hearing aids is you can't read your talking book with your hearing aid in because all you can hear is yourself chewing. I have what? hearing I have hearing aids, and I hate them. You do? Well, they just drive me. I can't read my book while I'm eating, and that's I do all the time. Oh, yeah, that is so true. I thought that was just a, a thing I dealt with, but, you know, now that you point that out, yeah. Yeah, so I just, I, I, you can't, and, I, and I, you know, every day at lunch I get my book and sit there and read, read my book and eat my lunch, and I can't do that with my ear nades in, so I just, I just don't wear them. <laughs> but you have the same problem. Yeah, I uh, do have the same problem, actually. It was cool. funny you should mention that, because I always thought, I don't know, I just thought that was normal. <laughs> you thought it was just you, or what? You thought it was just you that had that problem? Yeah, like yeah, I, I do that. I listen to my books, and I'm like, oh my god! I all I can hear is me chewing, and I can't. I don't know what the heck just happened. The past five minutes, I've been enjoying my food. <laughs> I'm fine with my hearing aids in the daytime when there's nobody else here but me, and I don't have to talk. But when mm-hmm. I, when my wife comes home from work and I have to talk, then they just <laughs> drive me nuts. I can't deal with them so but mine is not bad enough i just don't wear them in that teller i do she doesn't know the difference (laughs) well i have um actually the main problems i have is sound localization and assessing traffic patterns so when i'm out and about i definitely need to be wearing it so that's mostly when i wear it when i'm at home i'm just like enough with that because it if i keep it in long enough it really starts to hurt my ear yeah, and you just kind of start. It bother, they bother you, if you but, but if yeah, if you were out in traffic walking around, I'd probably wear mine. But I don't. You know, most places I go are in a. Or I'm in a car. That's another thing. But we in the car. The car is loud. The noise of the of the. Yeah, traffic. it can be. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. So, what did they do when it came time for Melissa to go away to school? Did you go away or did you? Why did you go? Um. 
Well, I lived on campus, but I mean, I still stayed near Boston, so I mean, I guess I went away, but I didn't. But they were really supportive of it. I mean, when I was, the day I turned 18, I always promised myself that I was going to use the subway, and my parents would never let me do it by myself. So the day I turned 18, I took off, and I went to downtown Boston, and I found a McDonald's, and that was my goal, because at the time I loved McDonald's, and I knew there was one down there, so on my own and then I came home and you know once I did that I was just like oh I can do anything and then once my parents saw that I did that successfully I mean they were still nervous but you know by the time I went to school a year later you know by the time I went to college they were just like okay well she can handle herself (laughs) but she went to Perkins they sent you to Perkins as a a six year old oh no oh no 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 what what did they do well tell me about tell me it's when you're six years old it's time to go to school I went to public school Actually, um, I was in a vision resource room within the Boston public school system. And then when I was in high school, I was mainstreamed full time. So <clears throat> I actually know I never went to a blind school. But this was a vision resource class in the public schools, uh, mm-hmm. in the public school in Boston with mm-hmm. other blind children there, other, other yeah. uh, sight impaired children uh, mm-hmm. in your class. And they, did they teach you Braille? They taught me Braille, and they taught me a whole other mess load of things. But I guess it's a great idea, but in the long term, it didn't do me as much good as it could have because what ends up happening is you have about... Boston has an extremely large number of blind people in their school system. So, you know, you have 10 blind kids all in this one vision room, but each blind kid is at a different level. And each blind kid is taking different subjects because they're in different grades and have different IEPs and so on and so forth. All right. So the vision teacher just doesn't function as a, a vision teacher. The teacher has to function as a history teacher, a math teacher, a science teacher. You know, right. and when you get into that kind of situation, there's a lot of things that you miss out on. Like when I went to high school, I really hadn't had any math in junior high from 6th to 8th grade because... The vision teacher didn't have time for it, and I wasn't prepared enough to be able to survive in a mainstream math class. So when I went to high school and they mainstreamed me full-time, they put me in algebra, and I really only had a fifth-grade math level. So and it, it was I, it was a good idea, but in the long term, I think mainstreaming is the best thing anybody can do. You mean simply putting the child in public school, period? No mm-hmm. resource class, no nothing. Just put them in public school and help them. Yeah, put them in public school. Give them a vision teacher who can come in once, twice, three times a week to, you know, provide materials or teach them Braille or, you know, give them the tools that they're not getting in their regular classes. But, you know, I think especially for socialization purposes, too, and so the best thing anybody can do is be mainstream from an early age. Because then you're with sighted children. You're with sighted children, but also you, you're not isolated and segregated. That was the problem we had. It was great. We were in a public school, but we were in a vision room, so we were segregated. Everything we did was within our, you know, within the people we had in our class. We never, yeah. you know, had, um, if we had gym, it was just, the blind kids gym you know if yeah. we went to recess it was the blind kids recess so. yeah, i got you 
Yeah. And so you didn't have a chance to form any long-lasting friendships with any kids your age? No. Uh, other than blind kids. Not that there's anything wrong with blind kids, but, you know, it is a sighted world, folks. It is. Uh, it definitely is. And we do live in it. We're we're the ones that are different. They're not. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, but how did Braille do? Did you do well at Braille? I did, actually. They taught me Braille when I was four, and that actually helped me a tremendous amount in school. And when I was in school, they really weren't... Um, Especially in elementary school, you know, the computer was just a whole new thing at that time. And I remember in fifth grade, my vision teacher sat me down and made me learn how to type, and I hated it with a passion. And (laughs) she used to make me um, write out my spelling words three times each, and I used to be like, oh, great, you know, I'll do it on the Braille right, I'll have it done in no time. But then she used to make me type them out on the computer, and it would take me hours upon hours. In the long run, it worked out. Well, why were you so resistant to learning to type, you think? Uh, I guess because I didn't see the purpose in it because, I don't know, I hated computers. And not that they were that prevalent back then, but I don't know. I just I guess I didn't see the purpose of them. I really didn't understand that once computers really took off, it would be so much easier to you know, get accessible materials yeah. and stuff like that. Oh, but, but you, you've long since gotten over your dislike of computers. Well, I still don't like them, but I deal with them, yeah. yeah well, <laughs> I, do, I do what I need to do, but, yeah, they've revolutionized things for blind people. Oh, they have. They're the, they're the you know, I, I don't know how I live without my computer. I, I was forced in 1997, my wife said, Mr. Phil Parr, you're going to learn this computer because I'm going to teach you and you're going to do it. <laughs> Uh, my wife has a rather strong personality, and I love her to death. But she told me I was going to learn computer, and it's the best thing she ever did for me. I don't know how, I'd, you know, how I don't know how I live without it. It's it's. Uh, well, that's what I say now. I I I just got into email about maybe two and a half, three years ago, and now I'm just like, oh my god, how did I ever live without email? Yeah, because you messaged me right back last night. I mean, uh, I I sent you something. Yeah. And, <laughs> Kaboom! It came right. It came right back. I mean, and you have. Well, we'll talk about this. You have. You have your own website, also, right? I do. Yes. Which we will. We'll get into in just a few minutes. Let's see. Where? What time it is? Let's. Uh, we we take a couple of breaks during the show. You, she's this girl, uh, Melissa. This lady has never heard this show, so you don't know anything about it. But we take a couple of breaks, and we're going to do one of those right now. And then we okay. want we want to talk about your high school days and get you into what you did after high school. Back with more blind like me in just a second. We'll record our 100th Blind Handyman Show. And you're invited to the celebration. We'll begin Friday, November 5th at the Sheridan on JFK Boulevard. Saturday, we'll have special motivational speakers and panel discussions on blindness issues. Then it's Saturday night and on to live music and karaoke. Sunday morning, we'll record our 100th Blind Handyman Show. And we've got something special planned for Sunday afternoon. Then it's Sunday night and time for more live music and karaoke. All in all, a great weekend to meet old friends and make new ones. For more information, call 936-634-9500 or email philpar at 
Ucom.net. Reservations and meeting room space are limited. It's first come, first serve. Join us in Houston, Texas this November, and we'll guarantee you a weekend you'll not soon forget. 936-6340. Back with the second part of our little show called Blind Like Me, Melissa G is our guest from Boston. Massachusetts is where she lives and has always lived, I suppose. Melissa is 25 years old and went basically to public school, however, went in a resource class uh, most of the time. And like you said, when they when they had June, when they had P.E., it was a blind kid's P.E. And so you didn't get to associate too much with those sighted kids. But eventually they got out of that and you were just you were dumped in mainstream, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the, the initial goal was to... Like I said, the idea behind a vision resource room was a good one because what they want to do is prepare you in the vision room and eventually, you know, slowly mainstream you, which they did. I mean, when I was in junior high, I was mainstreamed for three or four classes, and then I spent three or four periods a day in the vision room. And then when I went to high school, I was mainstreamed full-time and spent one period a day in the vision room to just do... um, transcribing my math stuff and, you know, stuff like that, handing materials to my vision teacher to be brailled up for me and stuff like that, which I thought was a really good setup. Oh, it was uh, for a blind child to be able to do that. But then the other blind kids were there. So did you you do any high school things like play in the band or? uh, No, I actually hated high school. Um, I dealt with, I went to, um, high school in the inner city and I was normally the only white one in my class so mm-hmm. not only did I deal with being the only blind one but I was the only white one so I dealt with a lot of reverse racism and stuff like that so no I I spent as little time as possible with the kids I went to high school with but, but you got to go home every night oh yeah yeah, you oh, yeah. got you, you. So you're the best of both worlds, as, to, as opposed to some of us who went to residential school. So your mm-hmm. high school, your high school was not fun. No, um, I couldn't pay me enough to go back there. You, you didn't <laughs> care for you didn't care for it, and you don't like computers. Well, uh, I'll give you one thing: you're opinionated, <laughs> and that's that's okay. That's we, we need that. Uh, you you've got your own opinions about things. All right, well, so high school wasn't good, but you did manage to get a degree, to get your high school diploma. Yeah, yeah, that I did. And that you did. Walked across the stage and all that, or, or did you even go? to? No, graduate? I went, actually, because my thinking was, I've worked really hard to get to this point. I'm not missing it. No, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Parents were there and everything. And so, so you were 17, I guess, when you graduated. No, I was actually 19. You were 19. But the big breakthrough had already come when you were 18 and you went to the subway and on the subway to McDonald's. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some weekends when what I really want is a large order of fries from McDonald's. <laughs> well, I mean, when that's I'm the food... I'm telling you, they can go a long way. <laughs> when that's the food I want. You know, I don't want steak or pork chops or chicken or anything. I want a large fries from McDonald's. I may have to have one tonight. I'm not sure. <laughs> But anyway, so you took the subway by yourself with your little cane, 
mm-hmm. downtown Boston. Those all narrow streets downtown, and there were a lot of cars. They said they call them cars. A lot of cars, yeah. Cars, cars. <laughs> I listen to car talk every week. Clicking, clack, the tap it, brothers. We're here to talk about cars, car repair. <laughs> and anyway, so downtown Boston, the subway to McDonald's, and it went fine. Mm-hmm. And after that, Mom and Daddy kind of lightened up, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they definitely did. I mean, they they kind of had no choice because technically I was 18, so I mean, if cognitively yeah, I was fine. So, I mean, if I wanted to do something, they really couldn't say, well, no. <laughs> so, well, but technically they were supporting you, you know. Well, they they were. That is true. Yeah, so, uh, well, they meant, well, they just didn't know how to handle a blind child, and that happens a lot. Yeah. Uh, with yeah. kids, and so, uh, so you finished high school at nineteen. What What did you think you wanted to do or be, or what? Did, what were you thinking about life? Well, um, I had always wanted to pursue music, but again, in high school, I was really shy. It was really quiet, um, so I didn't really expand upon my musical talent that much because I was just, I just wasn't interested in putting myself out there. So. When I left high school, I wanted to go into psychology, so that's what I did. I got accepted to Lesley University, and I went there for a year and studied psychology, and then decided I didn't want to do that anymore. Now, in high school, you were quiet and shy. Oh, yeah. Well, you got over that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I, I did. It took a while, but yeah. Well, uh, being quiet and shy will get you nowhere. Uh, I, I learned that you, very quickly. <laughs> so you, you wanted to do music. What did you want to be, a vocalist or a pianist? or what did you? I wanted did, to be a singer. You wanted to be a singer, but you didn't do much singing. Uh, I, go ahead. No, go ahead. That's fine. And, and so you didn't sing. You didn't sing in choir. You didn't sing solos. You didn't take any music lessons. Didn't do anything no. for music except sat around and listen to the radio. No, I would I would sing in my room by myself. <laughs> that, that was the extent of my musical endeavors. Okay, did we have karaoke then? I guess we didn't, did we? That's that's kind of a new thing, isn't it? Karaoke? Yeah, no, actually there was karaoke then. So yeah, I did have some karaoke stuff. Have some karaoke tunes. Yeah. Uh, but you and so you want to be a psychologist. So you went a year to a is is this university you went to? Is it a full four year school or what? Yes. Mm-hmm. But you only went one year. I only went one year, and then I transferred to Berkeley College of Music. Oh, okay. So down with the psychology, up with the music. That, yep. <laughs> to Berkeley College of Music. Well, mm-hmm. you have to you have to have some talent to get into Berkeley College of Music, don't you? Um. Yes and no. Well, explain that now. Well. Unfortunately, when you apply to Berkeley, they don't judge you based on your talent. Um, in fact, they don't even require an audition. Uh, what they require is that you fill out the music theory part of the application, and that's how they base their decision. So, um, actually, the first time I filled it out, I had no clue about any music theory stuff, so they... Um, they didn't accept me, and they told me that if I went to a five-week summer program that they offered, that they would reconsider me. So I went to that, and they, when it was finished, I got really high marks, so they reconsidered me and let me in. Okay, music theory, as in give, give us some 
as in knowing a half note from a quarter note or a whole note? Yeah, in chord progressions and melody structures and uh, rhythm patterns and this a whole mess of stuff words, that they, I had never they, even heard of. They wanted Both you to fast. know six eight time from four four time, and, mm-hmm. and they wanted you to. Did um, they explain iambic pentameter to you? They didn't explain that, did they? Uh, no, not no. not until I got there. But yeah, that, that's one of the things you were expected to know. And. Okay, so music theory. But then, then the second time you filled out the papers, uh, they said, "Okay, we'd like to have you." Mm-hmm. All right. And, and, and music as a, uh, you were going to study what instrument? Just start, study vocal, take yeah. vocal training? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you, and did you do four years there? No, I actually did two and a half because it was all well and good that they accepted me. But they accepted me uh, not having <clears throat> any provisions at their school for a blind person and not being willing to accommodate me. So a lot of what the issue was is um, they base a lot of their theory teaching on sight reading instead of ear training. So, you know, like, for example, we had an ear training class, but the purpose of the ear training class was to be able to identify intervals and triads and all this kind of stuff. But the way they taught it was through sight reading. So... The whole, every exercise within ear training was through sight reading, which meant that if I didn't know how to read braille music, which I didn't know, that I couldn't participate in class at all. Well, so you, you could learn to read braille music. I could, and that was one of the battles we had because they would, um, they taught their sighted students how to read printed music in class. But they would not hire anybody to teach me braille music so that I could, you know, keep up with my sighted peers. But the ironic thing was that they had no problem providing all of my textbooks and assignments. They would provide all that in braille, but they wouldn't hire someone to show me how to read it. So that was a really big struggle I had because not only was I trying to learn all this music theory that I had no familiarity with, but... I was trying to learn a system in Braille, which no one around me had any any familiarity with. And if you have any idea what printed music looks like, it's completely different from Braille music. So none of my teachers could identify with what I was trying to learn. And um, I did get the opportunity to go to a conservatory in California. I got a scholarship to go out there for two weeks and... They basically gave me a year's worth of material within two weeks. Uh, they taught me braille music and stuff like that, which was great. Um, and then when I went back to Berkeley, I was a little more prepared, but not. it still was more of a struggle than it was really worth, in my opinion. So I ended up um, leaving there after I met with the dean and... Their disability services are more geared towards learning disabled people, not blind people. Uh-huh. So I wasn't getting any support. And but they were gladly taking my $40,000 a year. So finally I just said, that's enough. I can't do this anymore. Okay, so you had a year of psychology. Mm-hmm. And you had a year, two and a half years of music. Mm-hmm. Well, you've almost got enough credits to get a degree in something. Uh 
you've got lots of college credits, assuming that you pass some of these classes. <laughs> you've got lots of... Okay, so this puts you at uh, about... Uh, well, this this uh, puts you at about 23 or 4 years old. Mm-hmm. And you're 25 now, so... So what did you... When you left Berkeley, what did you do besides become depressed? Uh, <laughs> I decided to go to... Uh, the University of Massachusetts, Boston, uh-huh. um, one because it was cheap, <laughs> and I found a program that I really liked, and the main purpose of the program is to gain hands-on experience in the field that you're studying, so I decided to do human services with a minor in legal studies, so that's what I've been doing the past year. And, and the, the human services, as in, explain that to me. Uh, what you mean by human services? Um, basically, when I graduate, I will be able to work um, with, well, my minor in legal advocacy is to be able to work with disabled people or homeless people and really advocate for people. And, you know, I could work in a homeless shelter or, you know, for a rehab agency or something like that. Well, hopefully for a rehab agency, they're going to pay a whole lot more than a homeless shelter. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, so that's what you're doing now. So you're you're still in uh, college. I'm in college. Well, don't I'm sound a professional so, student. Don't sound so unhappy about it. <laughs> no, actually, I really love the program I'm in at UMass. It's it's been great. So. You're 25 years old, and by the time you're my age, people will be living to be 150. Hmm. And, uh, well, they will. I mean, it's just, that's just the way things are going. By the time I'm 60 plus years, 64 years old, by the time you're my age, people will be living to be 150. So you've got 100 years. Don't worry about, (laughs) don't worry about going to school. It's, it's okay to be going to school when you're 25. So, so you've had a hard time deciding what you wanted to be. Yeah. Uh, I hope you've decided now. I mean, I hope yeah, this is... Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. This is definitely what I want A to minor do. in, you say, in uh, legal. A minor in law, a minor in... Uh, legal advocacy. Legal advocacy. So advocating for uh, disabled people or mm-hmm. homeless people or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Well... Uh, I see nothing wrong with that. I think that's good. And of course, you've got if you've got all you've got all the English and math and all that stuff out of the way, you've already taken all that, right? Oh yeah, thank God. Thank God. <laughs> huh? So you're in college with your little computer. No, actually, I have my own apartment. Really? Yeah, thankfully. <laughs> thankfully, you have your own apartment, but you're going to school. How much longer do you have to go um, to school? Um, probably at least another year and a half to two years. And then the problem, then it's time to find a job. Yep. That fun thing of trying yeah. to find a job. Now, I gather you're single, right? Uh, I have a boyfriend, but, yeah, I'm not married. You're not married. You're you're, you're still single and going to college. Mm-hmm. I want to tell you something. Whether you like it or not or whether you know it or not, this is the best time. Life is the best now it will ever be. That's what people say. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying, and I don't know you. I never met you. I never heard of you till yesterday. But I'm telling you, life is the best right now for you it's ever going to be. You're, you're carefree. All you have to do is study and, and, and make good grades, and everything will work out fine. That's all you have to do. I keep telling me I got a granddaughter that's seventeen. I keep telling that poor baby, this is this is you know this these are your best years. She just worries about things and you know. 
Wait till, wait till you get my age and your hair falls out. Then you then you got a real problem. All right. Well, uh, we're going to leave you where you are and wish you lots of luck and hope that you do well. And we would like to do one thing. Maybe in a year or a year and a half from now, we'd like for you to call us back and give us a reading on how your life went and and when you let, let us know when you graduate uh, okay. from college. And so maybe we could just sort of watch your your career and your life growth as you as you go through life and do things. You seem to you have a good ready laugh. Uh, you seem to be a bright, happy person. I start almost called you a child, and to me, you are. <laughs> And you, you seem to be a bright, happy child, and that goes a long way. You you laugh and you have a good sense of humor, and that is very. If you're going to be blind, you might as well have a good sense of humor. Cause oh, it's, you must have a good sense of humor. That's trust a definite me, honey, must. it's tough, but you oh, yeah. can do it. You can do it. Melissa G has been our guest. Hang on just a minute. Back with more blind like me in just a second. a website our crack research team certifies screen reader friendly. Now with this week's blind site, here's Don Shaw. I have recently found out about a internet site that I really do like and really find useful for sending large files. It's called You Send It. And what's so fine about this site is if your internet provider, email provider limits you to the amount of space in other words, how many MB you can send in an email attachment or in a file, this site will solve that problem. What you do is you upload a file to their site. You can send up to a one gigabyte file, which is just unreal. Of course, it, it would take a lot of time to uh, upload that file to the site, but I guess it could be done. But just for your basic, everyday, just whatever files you got to send that are too big, in other words, again, to send through email, this site's great. What you do is you go to the site, you put in the person's email address that you want to send the file to, and then basically you go to the, to the Browse button, and you find the file on your computer, you upload it to their site, it sends an email to the person saying that they've got the file and gives the link to the file, you click on the link, it sends you to their website, and the person downloads the file to their computer. A really nifty system they got. It's supposed to be a secure system. You know, I wouldn't send any personal information, you know, bank account, any informa- anything real sensitive, but it is supposed to be secure. But one can never tell about that. But anyway, it's a great site. Uh, it's got some really nice features one bad thing about the site is it could be a little bit more blind-friendly. It's not that bad. It's kind of so-so. Uh, the biggest thing I've seen about it, of course, I'm sure it'll depend on what screen reader you're using. For a JAWS user, when you, after you type in the email address to get to the Browse button to upload your file, you've got to go and use the JAWS cursor and cursor around a little bit. I guess with window eyes, you would probably uh, go to the mouse mode and mouse around and find that browse button. And after that, you're pretty much home free. But because of that, I'd have to give it a screen reader friendliness rating of a 6. Anyway, if you've got a file that you want to send, go to HTTP 
colon slash slash s eleven dot y o u s e n d i t dot com and send that monster file. Until next time, I'm Don Shaw. Keep on blind sighting. If you found a screen reader friendly website you'd like us to mention, send your email to blindlikeme, all one word, at txucom.net. And join us again next time for Blind Sights. Well, we just thought we were through with Melissa G. Actually, we brought her back for a. A return appearance. Let's make sure we're recording. What we didn't do is mention your... We, we want to do two things. We want to mention your website. So why don't you tell us what that is right now. It's www.melissagarside.com and Melissa is spelled M-I-L-I-S-S-A and Garside is G-A-R-S-I-D-E. Gar, Garside is how you pronounce your last name. Mm-hmm. MelissaGarside.com dot what? Yeah, MelissaGarside.com. MelissaGarside.com, and you can hear music uh, from you. Now, is this you with the band, or you with the what? Um, no, it's actually a demo I recorded in the studio about a month ago. So it's fairly with, new. With what musicians? With, uh, with uh, Actually, with the karaoke versions of the songs. Okay, with a, you took the karaoke version, and you recorded with, uh, with the karaoke, and they put your voice with it and made you a CD of it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, now uh, you're going to send me a song, and we're going to inject it into the program, so we'll say goodbye to you one more time. But tell me uh, what the name of this song is I'm about to play. Uh, it's going to be Love Takes Time by Mariah Carey. Love Takes Time by Mariah Carey, but it is sung by Melissa G. Is that correct? Thank you much. <laughs> Thank you.
are staying in the, the Boston metro area. Rob Jacobs is our guest, and you're in Boston proper, sir? I'm in within the city of Boston. It's actually a town within Boston called Brookline, surrounded on all sides by Boston. All right. Uh, you were telling a blind handyman story of something yeah, you I, did. I was just telling you, Phil, that uh, knowing that you do both shows, uh, Blind Like Me and The Blind Handyman, I was working very hard. I worked about 10 hours yesterday on a project at a friend's home, uh, and I was thinking all the time while I was working on this that I could very well fit into the blind handyman <laughs> at that Do point. either show, couldn't you? Yeah. I could have done that. Uh, I'm very determined to I keep up uh, two houses or two homes, I should say, not houses, but I have to do as much of the um, handyman labor as I can. And yeah. I, when, only when I get desperate do I have to call in a professional electrician, plumber, and the like. Uh, but I attempt everything, and when I start something, I don't stop until it's done and to my satisfaction. Uh, and I was working with a friend, Michael, who's his home. Mm-hmm. And he, by about 11 o'clock in the morning, he got so totally frustrated, he gave up. He started ranting. I said, Michael, go in the living room, relax, lie down, do something else. I'll work on this. Uh-huh. He was home. He trusted me enough. I said, just bring me whatever tools I need. <laughs> he ran downstairs about 10 times, bringing up drill bits and files and oh, hammers and nails and everything that I would okay. need. And, uh, I got the job done. It took a long time. I ended up stringing up lights, which I'll never get to see, but he tells me at the end that it was beautiful. So you have lights on the back porch and you have electricity well, he, there. Yes, he has a second-floor porch. And not only did we, well, we, we decided to go a little bit further. Once we got the electricity outside, said, well, the next step is obvious. Let's just put lighting back here. And he had all these Christmas lights or these white Christmas lights on a string that he had gotten a good deal after season last year, bought strings and strings of them. So we just surrounded the whole porch, uh, all on the roof line, running up and down the columns, along the railing of the deck, and uh, it was fun. I enjoy, I enjoy yeah, working. So this... I enjoy the physical labor. I like writing, but I can't sit still for that long, and I like to expend my energy in a physical way. So this was great for me. It was a challenge. It took some thinking. It took uh, little mechanics and a lot of visualization. And uh, he gave up at the visualization part and the mechanical part, but I I kept going at it doggedly. So, now uh, this this fella can see some, right? Oh, he could see all. <laughs> oh, he sees perfectly. He says, "Oh, okay, all right, yeah, yeah, that's and, good." But uh, sometimes somebody who is sad just says, "I am not good at this. My father wasn't good at this. My grandfather, I can't do this. I'm not mechanical." I said, "Okay, well, just leave it to me. I will accomplish this task. I guarantee you." It's a wonderful, um, said, and that's why I was just sending him to get the tools. I said, "That's one thing I can't do. This is your house. I don't know where you keep them." He didn't even know where he kept them. He was rattling. I'd ask him for a rat tail file. He'd run down to the basement. I'd hear him clanking around down there for 15 minutes before he came back with an armload full of files. He'd, I don't know what's a rat tail file. Here's a bunch of files. I found the right things I needed when he handed me a bunch of, uh, of uh, tools, and I just kept going at it. And, uh, yeah, he was excited, but some people just aren't uh, disposed to do well, that Well, it's, kind of it's wonderful of us to provide lighting for sighted people, isn't it? It's you know, just nice. I, uh, <laughs> I want to tell you a term that I've used for the last year, and it seems to have caught on. I no longer refer to them as the sighted. I call them the light-dependent. Light-dependent or sight-dependent, maybe. 
the site dependent or the light yeah, dependent. Right. Yes. All right. Well, that's that's not. This isn't. This isn't an aside story. This isn't really what we intended to talk about. No, it's not. You you were able to see for most of your life, right? Is that's that correct, Phil. I was thirty-seven and a half years old, and I mean that pretty much right to the date. I lost my sight on September fifteenth, nineteen ninety-five. I went from being able to see. To being blind very rapidly. Very rapidly. Um, very rapidly. How, how rapidly? Um, well, I saw on Friday, uh, I saw on a Thursday, I think I might have seen a little bit on that Friday, and by Saturday morning I woke up and I had no sight at all. Oh, my heavens. Um, I had, but uh, I can't, I must tell you a little bit more detail. I lost a complete sight in, in my left eye a few months earlier. That was gone. The retina had completely peeled away back in May. And then come September, it was clear to me that the the field division was getting smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still could see, and I knew that I'd only have two days or so left to see. I got on a little subway train. I took it up north to the closest beach that I could find, took a big yellow legal pad with me, sat down on the beach, and I wrote with a giant red magic marker, Page after page after page filled up a legal pad of writing. To this day, I can't find it. And if I did, I don't know if I'd want to show it to anyone for them to read it to me. I don't know what I wrote in that rage. or but I wanted to see the ocean one last time. Yeah. Uh, so it was rather sudden. It really was. Yes, and, and uh, but now, uh, this uh, you when you lost your sight and finally calmed down, and, and I don't blame you for being in a rage. You should have been. Yeah. Well, what did you... The rage was due to the fact that I think it could have been saved, and uh, I was in a study group that, and it was actually working. It was, it was maintaining the level of eyesight that I had as of Labor Day that year. I was sitting on the beach on Labor Day in Maine, and I was reading a book, and I was looking at the ocean, so I had enough sight to function fine. It was only two weeks later that I had no sight. I was in a study group. Uh, the, the, um, the protocol demanded the very rigid, uh, what can I say, uh, it, it had to fit very rigid within uh, the parameters of the study. And if they saw any uh, progression of the disease, they pulled me out of the study. I don't know if they were trying to skew the results of the study or not, but I know it was working because this, it had been rapidly declining all through August. I would have lost it by Labor Day once they put me on that study. It had slowed down to a crawl. I was losing it very slowly, and I believe that if I had stayed in that study, I could have maintained my sight for somewhat longer until uh, maybe even totally safe. Oh, wait, 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 hold on a minute. They were, they were, they were, yes, sir, Rob, can you hear me okay? I hear you fine. Okay, are they, were they were treating you for your eye disease? Yes, they were, but this was a, uh, this was a study, so it wasn't a released drug. It, uh, it was a clinical study, a trial study for a new drug, and uh, it has since come out. It's since been approved by the FDA, and now it's available to all. Had I started that earlier, or uh, or they had not had such strict criteria that I had to fit within, I would have stayed on that, and it may have saved my eyesight. So part of my anger was, why did they let me go blind? They sent me home from the hospital on that Wednesday refused treatment. They said, no, you, we did an eye exam, and you still show that you have a little bit of progression of disease. We can't treat you. Go home. I walked home in despair, and I said that was pretty much, I can't say it's a death sentence, but it was a blindness sentence. They said, go home and go blind. Basically, uh, yeah. So there was anger. 
there's anger there. Understandably angry. Okay, very once, much. once you got a little pa- background, which is very important. Well, I was uh, a I was an, an artist, a graphic designer, my whole life. This is what I started out being from from a very young age. My my folks saw that I was going to grow up to be an artist. And they uh, sort of steered me in that direction in my education. They were in the printing uh, industry. Uh, they said, you're a great artist. You should be a commercial artist. Well, by the time I got into college, there was something very new coming out called you know, computer graphics. So I jumped right on that when it was very leading-edge technology. Uh, this was in 1980. Uh, and I saw that this was definitely the wave of the future. So I was, as I write on the back cover of my book, I was always in the right place at the right time. I rode the wave of that, and I launched a very successful career in computer graphics. I designed graphic user interfaces for computer systems. So not only was art my passion, the thing I loved, art and graphics, but it was also my profession. Uh, so losing my sight took away most of what I defined myself as. Now, in an artist, and both in a, you know, an I'm sorry, excuse me. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but uh, so you, you, (laughs) you, uh, you not only lost your sight, but you lost your profession. I lost my profession. There had to come a time when you got over this anger and decided, well, hell, I've got to go on. Yes. Yes, yes. There was a time. I guess I had to numb myself to the fact that this happened. Uh,. That I lost my sight, and I did say, "Okay, I'll, I'm prepared to die at this point." I was unhealthy, which is why I caught the virus that took my eyesight in the first place. And I was—I saw that my health was slipping, my my profession was gone, and my love of life was really just oh. so dampened at that time that I really was in great despair. I was sitting here, and some people say my people read my book and they see it in different in a different light. Everybody sees it somewhat differently. Uh, I had a dog named KC, and I came home one day after the doctor's appointment, and they you know after they told me there's no hope, you're going to be blind. That's it. And I just came in the door, fell down on the floor and cried. That dog came up and licked me and reminded me. Uh, anytime I would ever think that I don't want to go on anymore, I don't want to live to see 1996. He would say, how dare you even think that? You adopted me for the rest of my life. You have a, you made a vow, and you're going to keep that vow. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 had, I, I seriously thought, I heard him say that in my head. He was very good at communicating his thoughts to me. And I said, that is true. That would be very selfish of me. I did vow to stay with him. And uh, he got me past the roughest patch. From then on, it was then two years focusing totally on rehabilitation. I don't think I'm ever totally finished with adjustment. People see me and say, oh, Rob, you became so well, you're so well adjusted. And I said, well, you're seeing me in a good light right now. You're seeing me at a good time. You don't see me in my despair and my darker times. But uh, it's it's always a process, adjustment. Hmm. And uh, those first two years was mobility and orientation training, and someone come to my home, and it was called vocational training, although it was, I didn't have a vocation anymore. But it was just teaching me how to live tasks of daily living as a blind man. Uh, she tried to teach me a little bit of Braille. She taught me how to organize things in my house. Uh, some of it stuck, some of it did not. I took a lot of courses 
now I was, as I said, I was a computer engineer. I worked on computer graphic interfaces. So I had the good fortune of having a background in computers. I took courses in technology, in, in adaptive technology, at the Carroll Center for the Blind here in Newton, Massachusetts, a very renowned center. It used to be called St. Paul's School for the Blind. Uh, I had a wonderful teacher, learned how to see what I was looking at, those screens, with my ears from then on. And I was once again, it, the first thing I was overjoyed with that it gave me back the freedom to write again, because I always loved to keep, I've always was a writer, whether for publication or not, to keep journals. I could write, I could sit at my computer and I could create text files again. And that was the start of something. That was the start. And as I say, the, adapt, the adaptation never completes itself. And there are days I still long to be able to just look out and see what a summer day looks like. But I know I can't. This is where I am right now. And this is what I have to accept. All right, you have alluded to your book. Let's let's get into that. Okay. What is your book about? Uh, why did you write it? Just tell us about it. Okay, very good. After, let's see, 95, I lost my sight. By 98, I realized that I had gone through two of the most hard winters we had here in New England in, in decades. While I was learning my orientation mobility, I was out there on the street with my white cane and my teacher, and there were frequently many days where he would say, Rob, it's just too dangerous for you to go. I can't even teach you on this day. There's just too much snow. And uh, those winters were, were awful. I would, I would really break down. And the good thing about this instructor was that he was a very compassionate man. He could have been a therapist as well. So those days that we couldn't go out, he'd sit and he'd listen to me. He'd listen, and maybe that's what I needed. As much as I needed to learn how to walk with a cane, I needed someone to listen to me. And he was very empathetic. Uh, oh, hello? Yes, go ahead, sir. Oh, okay, I heard a click. So I, I did, too. Go ahead. Okay, we, uh, we, I did learn. He was willing to give me as many lessons as it would take until I uh, felt, Joe, I don't need your services anymore. I, I think I've got it. And if he said, yes, I think you got it, it was me and the cane from then on. And I kind of trained the dog, my little Yorkshire Terrier, 10 pounds of Yorkshire Terrier, to help me guide me home if I ever got into a little bit of trouble. And of course, I didn't depend on him as a guide dog. And people would often ask me, is he your guide dog? And I'd say, no, uh, but he does a good job at it. However, he didn't pass the height requirements. He's only a 10-pound dog, you have to realize. Uh, I get around with a cane fine right now. Actually, I'm, I've been called quite skilled at my cane. I get around the city. I get around wherever I need to uh, with the cane. Well, we're going to leave Rob Jacobs there and continue his story next week. He has written a book. I have not read it, but from what he says, I think it's probably probably a pretty neat uh, neat book. Well, I want to I want to get it and read it, and maybe I can do that between now and next week. And he was going to tell us a little more about his book, and we'll continue that in uh, the next edition of Blind Like Me. So be with us. Be listening again next week for more exciting news. I always wanted to say that, never got to. <laughs> anyway, I'm having the best time of my life doing this. We hope you are, too. Uh, we appreciate you listening. And uh, don't forget about our gathering in Houston this November. We're going to do the 100th show of uh, our little show called Blind Handyman. And we're going to do it in front of a live audience. And we'd like for part of that live audience 
to be you if you'd be interested. We are going to arrive on November 5th, which is a Friday afternoon. We'll spend Saturday doing a Cooking in the Dark show, listening to some motivational speakers, maybe having a panel discussion, discussing um, things about blindness and, and uh, maybe even learning something. Who knows? Saturday afternoon, as I said, we're going to do Cooking in the Dark at 3 o'clock. Sunday morning at 11, we're going to record the 100th edition of the Blind Handyman Show. Pretty exciting, isn't it? So we'll do that Sunday morning. And uh, Sunday afternoon, we're going to have some demonstrations of, of uh, talking products or blindness-related products and things that maybe you haven't seen. Dale has a new cooking thermometer that we each have. I want to demonstrate that. And um, those Plex Talk recorders that you've heard so much about that cost so much, we want to demonstrate those. And book port things like that, and we're probably going to do a little seminar on Gold Wave recording program. And both nights, Saturday and Sunday night, we're going to have karaoke music if you want to sing, and I think a live band. We're going to have enough musicians to do the live band thing. So come, Houston, if you're interested, give me a call, 936-634-9500 is my number. My email is philpar at txucom.net, P-H-I-L-P-A-R-R at T-X-U-C-O-M dot net. And we'll see you in Houston, Texas. Be with us again next week for Blind Like Me, and we'll continue with Rob Jacobs. Also have a fellow from Houston that I think you'll enjoy meeting with. We'll see you next week. It's Phil Parr. Bye-bye.